Welcome back to the Jewish Thought Project. I apologize for the break between episodes. We were discussing the process of learning Machshava as an introduction into, into exploring the different domains of Torah thought. So this is going to be the last episode of the introduction. So I just want to recap what we've seen so far and introduce what we'll be doing, uh, what we'll be doing from here on out. So what we've seen so far in, ter- in, in terms of learning Machshava is that you can really divide the Torah into two domains. There's the domain of action and the domain of thought. The domain of action is those areas in Torah where, where Kadesh Baruch was instructing you uh, what to do. And then the domain of thought uh, where we're either instructed what to think or simply uh, truthful, accurate belief systems or, or, or ideas are conveyed to us. These are the two domains, and we discussed these two domains at length, as well as where the domain of thought comes from and how exactly a legitimate Jewish thought or Jewish belief is developed over time and also determined um, in assessing you know, what constitutes something that we believe and an, an, an accurate uh Jewish perspective, as opposed to just a hypothesis and perhaps a, you know, a philosophy, a guess about reality, as opposed to a belief that constitutes being part of our tradition. In the final episode of the introduction to learning Machshava, we're going to discuss the process the, of determining those beliefs that enter into our uh, into our broader belief system, meaning the halachic process has a very uh, has a very clear nature. It's been spelled out in several different works over time, and is also refle- reflected very clearly in many halachic works. That you go from the psukim in the Torah, the dinim that are conveyed to us through the Torah Shabbat, those things are discussed at length in the Gemara, clarified in the Rishonim, Paskin, Lahalacha, and then the Achronim have been d- debating through uh, modern cases what is and isn't uh, applicable and how the Halacha may look uh, different or the same in questions that come up every single day. That is, in short, a simplified version of the Halachic process. And our question to tackle today is to what degree does our process of clarifying ideas reflect that process of clarifying laws and mandatory actions? Is the domain of clarifying ideas much more free, much more open-ended, uh, much more uh, individual? Or is there a strict process by which we must uh, determine what it is that we believe before we can integrate that belief system uh, more broadly into what it is that we think in order for what we think to constitute a, re- a legitimate religious position. That's the topic that we're going to discuss today. And then after today, we're going to jump into the various domains of of thought that are spelled out throughout our tradition. So those domains are divided into six categories, or rather, they're not divided into six categories. I have chosen to divide those domains into six categories that I would like to focus on at length. The first category is going to be Torah. The second category um, is probably going to be Am Yisrael, uh, in terms of the order that I'm going to try to tackle them. So Am Yisrael, then there's going to be a category of Ben Adam Lamakom, Ben Adam Lechaveiro, Ben Adam Atzmo, 
and finally, um, spiritual religious leadership, where we're going to discuss everything from uh, Nevi'im to the three Ketarim, Kahuna, what it means to be a, a, a Kohen and the style of, of uh, Kohen leadership, what it means to be a Melech, and what it means to be a Tamar Chacham and the authority uh, that comes from rabbinic leadership. These are the domains that we're going to discuss once we uh, finish the episode today to complete our introduction to learning the domain of thought, which is to understand, okay, there is this domain of thought. There is a process by which legitimate thoughts are uh, developed over time. And now from an individual perspective, how do I then, or how do we go about uh, determining determining what exactly we believe on a on a national level and an individual level. Is there a clear process? And to what degree that process uh, reflects the halachic process that we are already familiar with. So let's go ahead and get started. There are, there are going to be two different recordings uh, in this episode. So just don't be confused when we transition between one recording to the other. Between those two recordings, we're going to cover all of the content. Okay, so in the last shir, we discussed the two sides of the Torah, the two goals of the Torah, that we have proper actions and that we have proper thoughts. And now we want to explore uh, how similar is the process of clarifying proper thoughts to the process of clarifying uh, proper behaviors. Obviously, the familiar domain is the halachic domain, the clarification of proper behaviors, and that will be kind of our frame of reference in examining the hashkafic process and examining the process of clarifying what it is that we believe. So how similar are the two? So first of all, you know, obviously the Gemara discusses not only halachas, but ideas, but also what I think you see in the Gemara in several places, is not just the discussion around ideas, but also very often we see a desire for a conclusion, or at least an attempt to draw a conclusion, right? So the discussion was not enough. The two sides were not enough. We actually value reaching some sort of conclusion. So we see that in a pretty famous Gemara in uh, Kedushin that discusses what is greater, Talmud or uh, you know, learning Torah or doing mitzvot? Now, of course, this is not necessarily only a hashkafic discussion. It could be a very practical halachic discussion in terms of what you prioritize. Uh, but the Gemara discusses or asks the question of, you know, what's, what do we see as greater, uh, learning Torah or doing mitzvot? Uh, it brings some degree of debate, and then it says that they reach some sort of conclusion that learning Torah is greater. Talmud Gadol Talmud maybe lide Maisa, because learning Torah leads to uh, mitzvot, leads to performing mitzvot. So again, the discussion was not enough. The Gemara wants to reach some sort of conclusion in that process. Where we see this elsewhere is in a discussion of uh, Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai and Erev and Daf Yud Gimel, where this is a very clearly a hashkafic conversation that they're happening, that they're having, which is, is it, was it better, uh, by and large, for people to have been created or not to have been created? Meaning, is it better for you as an individual to be created? Is, is the likelihood that you're going to do something positive with your life 
and therefore, you know, better your situation, uh, is, is that likelihood greater than that you will do something negative with your life and, you know, wreck your, your spiritual situation? So they have this debate. Not only do they have this debate, uh, but they reach a conclusion that essentially it, it seems to be worse for people to be put in this world and have them you know, not do anything they're supposed to be doing and ultimately uh, ruin or take away from their, from their spirituality by being put here because people are more likely to do the wrong thing than doing the right thing. That seems to be the conclusion that the Gemara draws. So the important you know, element, number one, in this discussion is just identifying that not only do they have this discussion where one side says, you know, better, that people, you know, better for people that we were created and we were given these opportunities, and the other side says, no, uh, better for us not to have been created uh, because we're more than likely going to fail in these opportunities that we were given. But the Gemara actually makes a point to make a conclusion. This is what we conclude. This is actually the case. Meaning the value of this discussion is not just entertaining both sides. The Gemara wants to reach a certain conclusion in the matter so that we know what is truthful and what is proper. Now, number two, a second bit of information that this gives us is very fascinating to look at because if you look at the actual wording of this Gemara, Nimnu Vigamru, that means that they counted and concluded that it is you know, better for a person not to have been created. Now, there's a, there are different ways of understanding this Gemara. So if you look at the Maharsha uh, on this Gemara, he says, what exactly did they count? They, they, they counted and they concluded that better for a person not to have been created. Um, what exactly did they count? So according to the Maharsha, they counted the mitzvot and realized that there were more things that you can't do where doing them is detrimental to you than things that you're supposed to do where doing them is helpful to you. And because, just on a, a practical level, you're, there are more things you can't do than you know, things that you're supposed to do to better your uh, spiritual condition, it's more likely that you're going to do more damage than good. So that's what the Marsha says, they counted. Uh, whereas you get a different impression from Rashi. Now, Rashi is not commenting on our Gemara. It's important to point that out. But Rashi and Kedushin comments on these exact words in conjunction with one another, Nimnu Vigamru. And he says, So he's talking about Kedushin, but the understanding of this phrase is what's important to us. Nimnu Vigamru means they counted the opinions. And so they're looking for the rove. You look for the majority in the halacha. You have, you know, different approaches, two, three, four different approaches. And then the way that you paskin, the way that you determine what the conclusion is, by looking at the majority. What is the majority opinion? Is it asr or is it mutter? Is it tameh or is it tahor? And that's how Rashi understands nimnu vergamru, that we draw our conclusions based on counting the relevant voices and saying who's in the majority and who's in the minority. And what that would imply is that what Behil and Beit Shammai are doing here by this hashkafic debate is actually counting, okay, how many people think that it's better for a person to have been created? How many people think that it's worse for a person to have been created? Let's count up the voices and determine the reality of the situation 
based on the majority and this now becomes the truth for us because it's a rove in a very very similar fashion to uh in a very similar fashion to how halacha is paskind Okay, we do see also that not only does the Gemara make an effort to draw conclusions in the domain of ideas, uh, but the Rishonim do as well. Uh, so the Rambam in several places will look at a debate that happens in the Gemara, where the Gemara, a Hashkafic debate that happens in the Gemara, where the Gemara doesn't give a conclusion, and the Rambam will only quote one opinion. So, for example, in the Gemara in Brachot Daf Lamedalad, there are a couple different discussions happening. First of all, there's a discussion around whether or not tzadikim gemurim, meaning completely righteous individuals who have never uh, sinned significantly in their lives, are at a better or worse place than those who have sinned uh, and have then have subsequently done tshuva. So we're, you know, we may be familiar with uh, the statement that tshuva omdin en gemurim omdin, right? That uh, seems to elevate the status of those who have sinned and done tshuva beyond those who have uh, never sinned. But uh, the Gemara in Brachot Daf Lamedalad has this debate, and it's the Rambam who comes in and actually draws a conclusion. It says, "Amru Chachamim, Makom Shabale Tshuva Omdin In Tzadikim Gemurim Omdin Et Yecholim Lamodbo." Is is his lashon? So the Rambam doesn't quote both sides; he just he concludes. Now, of course, this is not a halachic discussion; it's a hashgafic discussion, and the Rambam only quotes one opinion, and it seems to be that this is what he believes to be the right opinion. And in that same Gemara, there's a famous debate around Olam Haba and Yimot HaMashiach. Is Yimot HaMashiach going to be at, you know, a, a time period that is beyond nature, where things, at, where nature as we know it, the world as we know it, functions a little bit differently or very differently? Or is Yimot HaMashiach a totally normal uh, time period? Everything is running as we have come to expect it. And all these prophecies about when the world changes and things are different and the Olam HaNeshamot and all these things, that's actually talking about Olam Haba and not about Yimot HaMashiach. Again, the Gemara brings this discussion and the Rambam concludes that Yimot HaMashiach is a pretty normal time period and anything that's mystical and far off and, you know, beyond our uh, beyond our ability to understand, that's in the domain of Olam Haba. But Yimot Mashiach is going to be a pretty normal uh, course of events. Of course, the Ramban uh, thinks differently, but this is basically the Rambam and the Ramban debating, uh, you know, try, drawing opposite conclusions over a debate that clearly takes place in the Gemara. And they are reaching their own conclusions based on a Hashkafic debate. So all we see, though, is that the Gemara has Hashkafic debates, uh, discusses Hashkafic topics. Sometimes the Gemara itself will draw a conclusion. Sometimes the Gemara itself will draw a conclusion in a way that is strikingly similar to how it might draw a halachic conclusion. Sometimes the Gemara leaves it as a debate, but the Rishonim will come in and say, you know what we believe to be the truth is A or B. So it's clearly the process by which we try to determine what is truthful or not truthful is not entirely dissimilar from that process uh, whereby we try to determine what we're supposed to do. 
an additional element that you can throw into this discussion is that we do actually see hashkafic topics being discussed in the context of halachas. So, first of all, we see a Gemara in Sanhedrin that speaks about David Melech, where David Melech asks the Kaddish Baruch Hu, you know, why, are, why is it that you're called Elokei Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, I, I, you know, and not Elokei David? And God says, well, I tested them. And so David says, well, test me. David understands that his area of weakness and therefore the area that he's going to be tested in is in the area of Arayot. And he says, well, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to just sleep with someone I'm allowed to sleep with. And then, you know, my desires will be put to bed, uh, no pun intended. And, and then I'm not going to want to do anything else and I'm, I'll pass whatever test that, you know, God sends me at that point. But, says the Gemara, David HaMelech forgot uh, that that's not how we work, right? In fact, says the, the Gemara, when it comes to your desires, the more you satiate them, the hungrier they get. The more you starve them, the, full, the, the, you know, the more satiated they are. And the Gemara says that in the following uh, language. It says, The following halacha was forgot, uh, David forgot, which is that that's how our desires work. Which is very interesting that um, it's very interesting that the Gemara uses it, Belashon Halacha, calls this, this idea, this truth, uh, a Halacha. Similarly, in the Ramban we quoted in the previous shir about Bereshit, uh, the Ramban reaches a conclusion or, or postulates that we actually don't really understand what's going on in the story of Bereshit. The text tells us some sort of basic understanding about Masa Bereshit, but of course... <laughs> It's the, what really happened is above and beyond what we understand from the text. And the real truth of what happened is a Mesorah, uh, and it's only known by very, very select few individuals who are, you know, the Bale, the Mesorah, and Bale, Kabbalah, and what he calls the, the knowledge of what really happened in Bereshit, that, you know, on a deeper level, he says, says the proper understanding of what Bereshi actually looked like, what the creation of the world actually looked like, is a halach l'moshimisinai. So it's interesting that uh, the knowledge of the creation of the world, the Ramban is using the term halacha uh, to describe this. Similarly, we see Rashi quoting the Midrash of, uh, of Esav's meeting Yaakov, and it says that he goes in to kiss him. And the Medrash says, one opinion of the Medrash says, that he was actually trying to kill him. And that, that explains the dots above the term that he was going in to kiss him. So that being said, um, so Rashi quotes the Medrash as saying as follows, that no, really, Esav was trying to kill him. You can't say that Esav had a change of heart and he changed his ways and now he loves Yaakov. Why? It's a halacha that Esav hates Yaakov. And in fact, uh, Rav Moshe Feinstein uses that idea when he was asked, there was a certain uh, case that came before him in England about a decision that their, you know, that their uh, educational, like the Misrat their Department of Education, 
made that negatively impacted Jewish schools, and they asked Rav Moshe, should we take them to court? Do we have to be concerned that this is going to incite hatred towards the Jewish people? And Rav Moshe said, halachai, ace of Sona Yaakov. So you always have to be concerned for the idea that there's a deep-seated hatred uh, towards the Jewish people, uh, and you have to keep that in mind when you're, you know, stoking the coals amongst the nations of the world, bringing them to court, v'chulei v'chulei. So Rav Moshe actually integrates this idea in the Medrash into his psak halacha, that you always need to be concerned for the fact that, uh, that Esav is sonet Yaakov. However, uh, however, Rav Moshe addresses why we call it a halacha, and that's where things uh, get a little bit interesting. Because Rav Moshe doesn't say it's a halacha, meaning we paskin that this is the truth. That's not a relevant term here. You don't paskin that this is the truth. Rather, says Rav Moshe, we call it a halacha, and the Medrash calls it a halacha because it's unchanging like halacha. It is a truth of our reality as halacha is. It's an absolute idea that doesn't change. Not to say that we paskin Esav hates Yaakov. That's not relevant terminology here. Just to say that this is the truth and it'll always be the truth. However, others, like, like the, 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 the Maritz Chayas, says differently and says, no, actually what we see from this Midrash and, and, and in other places as well, he quotes Gemara and Erevin, that the term halacha applies to agadata as well, to ashkafic topics as well. That when we have debates, not just on actions, but around ideas, whatever conclusion we draw, it is fit and appropriate to call that a halacha as well. Okay, so what we need to do next, after we explored uh, in what ways the hashkafic process is similar or different to that of the halachic process, we need to address the next question, which is, is there psak halacha when it comes to hashkafa? Meaning, is it, okay, the Gemara reaches certain conclusions, the Rishonim reaches certain conclusions, now it comes to us, I can basically do whatever I want, and I can conclude what I think is truthful or what finds favor in my eyes, or similar to the halachic process, I'm actually supposed to go and ask a shayla and get a psak halacha. So how do we treat the, the domain of psak within ideas as opposed to actions? Okay, so after discussing the similarities and the differences that exist between halacha and hashkafa, we have to address what's perhaps the biggest or at least the most relevant question for our purposes, which is, is there psak in the domain of hashkafa? We saw that the Gemara discusses these topics. We saw that the Gemara draws different conclusions in these topics. And we saw that the Rishonim uh, sometimes take different sides in the discussions that the Gemara held. But is there a proper psak? So we're familiar with Halacha, where we very much do believe that there is a psak. And we can kind of trace that throughout the Mishnah, the Gemara, the Rishonim, and the post game in our time. And we also understand that it's incumbent upon us to ask our uh, Rebbeim for a psak on any given uh, question in, every, in any given category. So what do we say regarding a hashkafa? Is there psak? Were the Rishonim paskening? Is that what their conclusions were? And are we bound to ask for a psak in this domain, or is it just important that we know the different opinions, and are we empowered to determine which one that we think uh, seems more reasonable to us? So, the origin 
of this question is actually very likely Machloket Bavli Yerushalmi in the Sechet Sanhedrin. It's all based on the Pasuk in Dvarim Perak Yud Zayin Pasuk Chet, which is essentially the source for our responsibility to ask the Sanhedrin our questions when we have them. And the Pasuk says as follows, So the Pasuk introduces a reality, a scenario where you don't know the halacha, you don't know what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants from you, whether it's between dam ladam or din ladin, meaning if we're talking about uh, iser veheter, or are we talking about a, uh, are we talking about a scenario, um, a legal scenario between two parties? Either way, you have to go to the Sanhedrin for uh, maskana. You ask the dayanim, and they'll tell you this is the halacha. Or you ask them, and they'll say you owe this person money; they owe you money, etc. The Gemara, however. Uh, in Masechet Sanhedrin, Bavli and Yerushalmi debate the following question, which is, what is the davar that the Pasuk refers to, right? So it says that you forget or you're unaware of the davar. Now, it goes on to discuss mishpat, dam, din, but first and foremost, it says that you do not remember the davar. You don't know the davar, and that's what you are seeking out in the Sanhedrin. So the Bavli in Sanhedrin says, Davar is halacha, lemishpat zehadin. So, Davar is a reference to the halacha. When there is a, when there is a clear-cut halachic conclusion uh, to a certain matter, to a certain question, in uh, Shabbos, in Kashrut, whatever it may be, so that's when you go to them. But you also go to them for the din. So the din is, you know, about who is right in uh, a question of you know, uh, to people debating over, disputing over a legal matter. So the idea of halacha and din are a little bit different. By halacha, there's, it's asr or it's mutter. It's tameh or it's tahor. Whereas by din, by a court case, could be that uh, the best option is to come to a compromise. But if you can't come to a compromise, then who owes who money and how much, right? They're not exactly building, they're not exactly clarifying a pre-existing halacha as much as they're determining uh, and deciding the reality in front of them in, uh, in you know, whatever the particulars of the case uh, demand. So that's the idea of, of halacha as opposed to din. And the davar that the Pasuk speaks about is when you don't remember the halacha, the mishpat is when you don't know the din. That is the Pafli. However, the Yerushalmi says something different, something a little more relevant to the context that we're discussing, which is ki flamimcha davar, says the Yerushalmi, davar zo agadah. So essentially, the Yerushalmi makes a very different chiluk. Not between halacha and din, rather between halacha and agada. So that when you forget the halacha, of course, you know that you have to go ask the Sanhedrin, ask what's the psaq, what's the halacha. However, says the Yerushalmi, this Pasuk is also speaking about when you forget the agada, when you forget what we believe, when you forget what's truthful. Not just about, is this usr, is this mutter, did I make my pots tray for it? No, what exactly do we believe? What are the finer nuances of our belief system? Do we think like this? Do we think like that? You don't know, you don't remember, you have to go ask the Sanhedrin and they'll give you a psaq. So... It, on, on the surface level, it definitely seems like this question of is there psaq in hashkafa is a machloket bavli Yerushalmi. So what exactly do we say? Meaning, how do we conclude? Lehalacha, what do we say about asking for a psaq in hashkafa? 
So the Chovot Levavot makes his point very clear, and he says that everything that this Pasuk seems to be telling you to do is, uh, is oriented around strictly halachic matters. When do you have to go to the Sanhedrin? Strictly when you have halachic doubts, but not when you have doubts in the realms of hashkafa, in the realms of beliefs. He says clearly this Pasuk is not telling you that if you have doubts about your responsibility to love a Kodesh Baruch Hu, you go to the Sanhedrin. That's not what the Pasuk is talking about. So it seems to be that the Chovot Levavot is understanding like the Bavli understands that this Pasuk is strictly discussing halachic matters and not hashkafic matters. The, the Rambam uh, understands this around, along similar lines, and he says in several places, and he writes as follows in the parish, uh, in the parish Mishnah, I've told you more than once, I've talked about this matter. Right? So if the Chachamim have a certain Hashkafa, uh, uh, if they have a machloket around a certain point of hashkafa or around a certain opinion, it's not relevant to say halacha kaploni. That's not a relevant terminology here. Uh, and this, the Rambam mentions in uh, a number of different places that uh, he writes as follows in the Akira Tchiatamaitim, the Koldavar Shiyeshbo Machloket, Veloyavi Mase, Efsharla, Hriya, Bo, Echad Mishnea Mahamare, Malchavero, the Kvar Zacharazim, Fereshe Mishnapavim. Okay, so that if you have a Hashkafic debate, or a debate around ideas, a debate around uh, what we believe, and there is no practical, there's no mice, there's no practical implication of that discussion. It's not nogela mice, it's not telling you to do this like this or like that, usr or mutter, the way that you execute your obligation is through this way as opposed to through that way. We are not machriya, rather, we just see both opinions as legitimate. However, if there were to be a practical uh, implication of this discussion, then we, can, then we have to draw some sort of conclusion. Or then we have to follow, let's say, the conclusion that the Gemara would have uh, come to, or we need to have a discussion around which one we're meant to follow. Now, uh, as I mentioned beforehand, the Rambam draws conclusions in his own right in uh, Hilchot Tshuva that we saw, and there seems to be some some limitations, obviously, in, uh, in this perspective of the Rambam, that there are no conclusions around thoughts or ideas, as the Rambam very famously has his, has his Yud Gimli Karim. Thirteen things that you absolutely have to believe that if you don't believe in, you're not Bikoras. Right? And, you know, maybe he would say, well, that is practical because if you have these thoughts and these beliefs, you're not believable and you can't testify. And, you know, maybe that's how you would be metaret to the Rambam here. That he would say, no, that is no gay lemaise. That uh, very clearly has a practical implication because it makes you an apikores. So, and you can't testify and you don't have the emanut. Maybe we want to say that this is a debate in the Gemara um, that has practical implications. Or maybe you could say, no, it's actually not a debate. Maybe you want to say, it's not a debate in the Gemara. Our Masora is very clear on this topic, that these are the things that we believe. And because these are the things we believe, you absolutely must accept them. And the Rambam was only saying, there's no halacha, there's no being machriya, there's no absolutely saying like one side or the other, 
when it comes to matters of debate. But this, according to the Rambam, is not a matter of debate, and our Masora is, is, is perfectly clear when it comes to these 13 areas that, uh, that they are absolute and that you must accept them. So, the Rambam very clearly says that there is no psakalacha when it comes to hashkafa. However, you might need to limit that to some degree, given his perspective, you know, given his Yud Gimali Karim, that perhaps, uh, that perhaps there's no debate on those, in which case you have to accept them, and whenever there's no debate, you have to accept them. And it's only once there is a legitimate debate that you're allowed to entertain either of the two perspectives. Uh, alternatively, whenever there's a practical implication to whether you hold one way or the other, we need to draw a conclusion, then you actually have to address that conclusion that, uh, uh, that, that conclusion of the debate, which, is, which has a certain practical uh, implication. So that's the perspective of the Rambam. Fundamentally, there's no Psaq and Ashkafa, but that doesn't mean that there is never an instance where we need to draw a conclusion and even follow that conclusion in the domain of thought. The Sefer Achinuch also discusses this topic in Parshat Shoftim, and he comes to a very different conclusion. The Sefer Achinov writes as follows. The Sefer Achinov is discussing, elaborating upon our obligation to go to the Sanhedrin for Psaq. And it says there's no difference in our responsibility to ask the Chachamim between a halachic matter or a matter of sode Torah. Anything that the Chachamim seem to believe is correct, whether it's a matter of halacha or hashkafa, anything that fits that category goes underneath our responsibility to ask the Sanhedrin. So this is obviously very similar to what we saw in the Yerushalmi, that our responsibility to get a psak uh, extends far beyond uh, the domain of strict halacha and goes into the domain of halacha as well, of hashkafa as well. Uh, we see a similar concept mentioned in the Drush of Haran, where he writes as follows: tavinu masha amru lanu al apsukim Right? Essentially, the, what we see in the Drashat Aran is that it's not just mitzvot that are, that are shayach to the domain of Pesach Rather, anything, a legitimate interpretation of a pasuk, having nothing to do with halacha or mitzvot, anything that's in, in the domain of Kabbalah, anything that's in the domain of our Mesorah, uh, we are obligated to go ask the Sanhedrin uh, what their perspective is. We see a similar uh, sentiment from the Chatham Sofer, where the Chatham Sofer comments on Perakachelik in Sanhedrin that, uh, that Rabbi Hillel postulates that actually this Mashiach that we're all waiting for, he already came and it passed, and there's really no more Mashiach. There's, there's, no, there's no more Mashiach. There's nothing, we're not waiting for Mashiach to come. Mashiach came, the, the time period passed, there's, no one else is supposed to be coming, which is a wild uh, Shita. Um, you know, as far as, you know, in, in comparison to what we've been brought up on. And the Khatam Sofer says that anyone who says now 
anyone who says now that uh, that the halacha is, or that the idea is like Rabbi Hillel, that the Mashiach isn't coming, is an apicardus. Why? He explains, because most of the Chachamim believe the Mashiach is still, cham, is still coming. And therefore, by a rove, we have determined that Hillel is not correct here. And this is not what we believe. And if you go ahead and believe along those lines, you're an apicardus, and you're rejecting our Masorah, and you're rejecting our tradition. Clearly, a, uh, a matter not of halacha, a matter of hashkafa, that the Chadam Sofer says, if you reject this matter, which has been paskin apirov, then you're rejecting a fundamental part of our Masorah, you're not Apikoros. It's interesting, that can also be explained, you know, a similar line of thinking can explain uh, something that Reb Chaim uh, once said regarding, uh, regarding anyone who says that the, that the Ishaha Kushit, right, that that Miriam and Aaron apparently spoke about how Moshe took an Isha Kushit, married a Kushite woman, and Rashi understands that that's talking about Sipora, uh, but I believe it's the Rashbam who says, no, it's actually about a different woman that, uh, that, that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu married. So, so Reb Chaim says that anyone today who says that the Isha Kushit is talking about anyone else aside from Sipora is an Apikores. Which is shocking, because like we just said, the, the Rashbam says it is. But, you know, once we, we're allowed to have these debates, not just in the, in the realms of, of, of halacha, we're allowed to have these debates in the realms of Ashkafa, in the realms of history, in the realms of legitimate perushim to the Torah. But once a conclusion is drawn, we're, we're obligated by that conclusion. And you can't search for the dat yachid. Those who thought that this woman was not Sipora were paskid as incorrect even though it's not in the domain of halacha. So we see two opinions here, two approaches uh, that we find in the Rishonim and in the Achronim in addressing basically what is a machloket bavli Yerushalmi on whether you need psak in the domain of uh, hashkafa. Now I think very beautifully and very characteristically, Rav Kook explains this machloket really as a Bavli or a Yerushalmi Lashitata. Rav Kook very often does not, uh, Rav Kook very often looks to synthesize the legitimate opinions and finding the common ground uh, between them. And he does so in this Machloket Bavli Yerushalmi, where he says that really what's behind this Machloket is that the Bavli was written in, er- in, in Chutz Laretz and the Yerushalmi was written in, in Eretz Yisrael. So what does that have anything to do with it? Says Rav Kook, Says Rav Kook, determining halacha, determining right the, what the proper halacha is, is based on logical analysis of the sources. Right? The Torah is loba shemayimhi, and that's what we believe in terms of the halacha that we have the capacity to determine what the halacha is based on analyzing the text in front of us. It's a very logical, uh, uh, rigorously analytical process, okay? That, and, and that is what stands at the foundation of psakalacha, logic and analysis. In terms of ideas, however, understanding the truth, Rav Kook says yeah, that, that's not a logical process. You don't just logically analyze what and why God does, you know, what God does and why he does it. That's not logic. That's in the domain of godliness, of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's not your... You're not analyzing a pasuk and drawing conclusions. This is something much deeper. 
explains Rav Kook that the root of how we arrive at the, the conclusions of, of agadic ideas of hashkafa is not logic. It's Ruach HaKodesh. Logic doesn't get us to these conclusions. Ruach HaKodesh gets us to these conclusions. In which case it makes perfect sense why the Bavli said that you only ask about the Halacha and the Yerushalmi says that you ask about the Agada. Because in Chutz Laaretz, where they primarily and perhaps exclusively use logic in determining their conclusions, because there is no Ruach HaKodesh, there is no Nevuah in Chutz Laaretz. Eretz Yisrael is the place for Nevuah, is the place where we can tap into that Ruach HaKodesh and that manifests itself in a lot of differences between the traditions of Chutz Laaretz as opposed to the traditions of Eretz Yisrael. So it makes a lot of sense. They said, don't come to us to ask us about the Agada. We're paskining halacha based on a logical process. Whereas uh, in Eretz Yisrael, where they're learning not just, the, not just through, uh, uh, through logical analysis of the sources, but they're learning through Ruach HaKodesh, through a very different foundation of, of analysis. One that's not just rooted in logic, but that's rooted in being privy to certain divine principles in Ruach Kodesh and in Kabbalah. And because of that, the Talmud Echam of Eretz Yisrael were in a position to give a, 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 a psak, a hachra'ah, in the domain of thought. They're not just using logic, they're using principles of Ruach HaKodesh that makes a human being privy to that which the divine does. Says Rav Kook, that's what's behind this machloket. It, you know, quite simply, uh, the Bavli was just not in a position to draw such a conclusion. I want to conclude by mentioning that we see both of these approaches uh, within within our Gedolim even today. So Ravaria Kaplan was addressing the question of the age of the universe. Right? Can you say it's this amount of years old? Can you say it's you know, seemingly different than the sphera that we have uh, based on the Torah? Given that this seems to be uh, a, you know, a perspective that's growing in popularity with you know, scientific support for it. Uh, or are we you know, bound by uh, a specific approach or a specific opinion uh, on the matter? And he addresses our question head on. He says, in a question of halacha, after the discussion of different opinions, we must come to one conclusion. Anyone not abiding by that conclusion is going against the halacha. That's, 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 what, we're, that's what we're familiar with. However, in a case of hashkafa or historical questions, this is not true. The Rambam makes this point in Parish Mishnayot. We saw that inside. In any case, the Rambam says clearly that in questions of hashkafa or history, there's no psak. In other words, if an opinion is found in Chazal or in our accepted Torah Svarim, one cannot say that we do not paskin like that opinion. Thus, the Rambam often takes Dad Yachid. The Rambam, you know, very frequently will rely upon, you know, uh, on one person who says something, uh, even though you generally have to follow the rove, because that's what the Rambam believes to be correct, and he's not bound by the rove in this context, and builds an entire Ashkafa on it. He may use this opinion because it fits into his system of logic, even though it may be a minority opinion. A minority opinion. He can do this since the entire concept of psak only applies to questions of halacha and do not apply to questions of ashkafa. That is the, uh, that is the opinion of Arya Kaplan as he as expresses in this article. What we get, what we hear from 
uh, Rav Soloveitchik, Rav, Lich, Rav Lichtenstein, Rav Schechter, pretty much anyone who was a part of that, uh, that, that dynasty, is a very, very different sentiment. A sentiment that resembles far uh, um, more closely with what we saw in the Yerushalmi. Rav Shechter wrote as follows in Mipnei Arav. People are wont to say that the Torah is comprised of two separate parts, that there is halacha and there is hashkafa. But I heard from Rav Aaron Khan that he uh, heard several times from our master of Soloveitchik that he learned from his forefathers that this distinction is erroneous. For even that which is called hashkafa is also part of halacha. Just as there are halacha concerning what one is permitted to think, uh, just as there are halacha concerning what one is permitted to think, one is one is forbidden to think, and what one must think. So there are halachot around our actions, and there are halachot around what we think, what we can think, what we must think. That's the domain of hashkafa, and absolutely we are bound by a, a specific conclusion. So that is uh, what Rav Shechter expresses, and I've actually heard him say something very similar on several occasions. And we see something very similar expressed by Rav Lichtenstein. So Rav Lichtenstein was discussing here the importance of having a gadol be kind of the uh, be the guiding force behind uh, hashkafic movement, and he said, he said, I, he says that it doesn't matter what your analysis of the sources are, or what your conclusions are, or how many gemaras that you bring in to support yourself. Quite simply, if you do not have the support of an indisputed gadol Israel, the shofet shabiyamecha, behind your movement, it is not legitimate what you're doing. If you have a Torah Mata perspective and you think we need to balance both and you're basing that on, you know, on, on a, a, a variety of sources that you can track from the Gemara to the Vilna Gon and through the Maharal and the Rambam, um, and you would like to use these perspectives to, you know, navigate your community in a different direction from the rest of the Torah world, and you have all the support and the sources for it, says Rav Lichtenstein, that's not enough. You must be. You, you must conform to the psak of of a gadolador. They must be leading it. And he writes as follows. However, there are many who contend that the primary issues are rather matters of hashkafa, to which the authority per se is far less relevant. So you might say, wait one second. We're not talking about halacha. We're talking about hashkafa. We're talking about am I a Torah umada guy or am I? You know, how, what do I think about Eretz Yisrael? What do I think about learning secular studies? These aren't halachic questions. They're hashkafic questions. So. Rav Lichtenstein goes on to, uh, to, to emphasize that there's no difference. It doesn't matter if we're talking about a halachic discussion or a hashkafic discussion. You must have the dat Torah. You must have a posik, not just a posik, a shofet shabiyamecha, one of the undisputed top poskim of the generation. The leaders of that community say that this is the, the right direction for Klal Yisrael, even in Hashkafic matters. So, what have we seen? So we saw that the Gemara goes through different discussions, Hashkafic discussions. Sometimes it draws conclusions, sometimes the Rishonim draw conclusions. The perspective of the Chavot Levavot and the Rambam seems to be that as long as something is a legitimate perspective that is entertained by Chazal, it fits into the, into the area of Shivan Panim Torah, and you basically have the authority to choose. And the Rambam follows the, the opinion of Yechidim when they kind of conform more so to his broader perspective on Torah, on Yadut, or on the world. However, what we saw in the Drashot Haran, what we saw in the Chadam Sofer, what we saw in, uh, in the Sefer Achinuch is not so. It's more like the Yerushalmi, that, uh, that, that even Ashkafic questions have Psaq and then you need, to, you need to go to your rabbi. 
and, and you know, the, there's a psaq in the Gemara or there's a psaq in the Rishonim. There's a psaq for our time in terms of what it is that we think and what it is that we believe to be true, right? Just because it's not nogeel lemaisa doesn't mean it's, absolute, it's not absolutely critical that we're doing the right thing, right? And that uh, we saw that Rav Kook understands this not as, you know, uh, not as a, you know, basically understands this as a machloket that makes... That's the Bavli and the Yerushalmi Lashitatam, right? That in Chutz Laaretz, they simply didn't have the Kalim to develop a perspective in Hashkafic matters with absolute clarity because it's based purely in logic and reason and not in the, you know, not in being privy to the divine uh, insights that are only, that were only available to those who had a Masorah in Eretz Yisrael. We saw that Rav Arie Kaplan takes the former approach and that uh, Rav Schechter, Rav Lichtenstein, Rav Soloveitchik seem to take the latter approach, that it is very relevant uh, in terms of, uh, of Agadita, in terms of Ashkafa, to have a Psak Halacha. In terms of what we think, what we believe is correct, you don't just decide for yourself. It's not like, well, you know, I'm kind of a guy who doesn't think that Eretz Yisrael is so important. You know, you have to... You ask your rabbi about kashrut, you ask your rabbi about all the halachic matters, and you decide for yourself what you think about, you know, about Eretz Yisrael, what you think about Torah Umano. What you, no, these things must be asked to your rabbim as well. They're matters of hashkafa, and, uh, and psak is very relevant to, those, to that domain as well.